Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists to care. And good morning to you on this absolutely beautiful, beautiful morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining me here on 101.9 High FM. My name is Kathy Kayla, and this is the Diskem Medical Monday Show. This is a space where we learn everything about medicine, about illness, about treatment, about anything to do with good health, really. And um, have you ever wondered, you know, we've all taken medication at some point in our life. Um, some people are taking, you know, long-term medications. Some people will take a, you know, a, something for a headache, a painkiller. And, uh, so we're exposed to it a lot. But have you ever wondered, how do medications start? How do medications begin? What is the life of a medication? How does it get to be in your shopping trolley or on something that your doctor prescribes. So uh, we called up our friends at Rush and uh, spoke to Dr. Kotatsu. Let me get that right. Dr. Kotatsu Matumi, who is a medical director at Rush. And uh, we've invited her into studio to explain to us the life of a medication. And uh, if you've got any comments, if you want to get in touch, if you want to say hello, if you want to, uh, if you've got any questions about medications, then uh, this is how you're going to get in touch. You can SMS on 34519. That's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also send a WhatsApp or a Telegram message on 0618951019. You can email me from anywhere in the world on, uh, on air at chaifm.com. That's on air at chaifm.com. So, uh, with no further ado, let me uh, say good morning to Dr. Kotatsu Motumi. How are you? And thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me and good morning to your listeners. Good morning. So interesting to find out how medications evolve. Well, they don't really evolve because once you have it, you have it. But uh, what is the life cycle of a medication? Mm-hmm. How do How do pharmaceutical companies begin doing research? Do you work with the universities? How do you come up with treatments. So commonly what tends to happen is actually we go more into the disease area itself. So a lot of research actually ends up being at the university is correct, but more into the physiology of the disease, because that's how you then determine which drug can work right. for a disease. Right. So a lot of times, a lot of actually attention is paid to how the drug, um, the, the body itself, the normal physiology of the body works, which markers tend to make certain reactions in the body happen. Because once you find that specific marker, it's actually easier then to treat, because then you can focus on developing something that either blocks or works in conjunction with that marker to, to make the process happen. What do you mean by marker? So a lot of the, the drugs that we're focusing on specifically in oncology tends to be what we call personalized healthcare. So what you do is, say for instance in cancer, I think uh, maybe your listeners have heard about the BRCA2 gene. So you look for a marker where, you know, the, the disease itself works on a specific marker in your cell and that's how the disease actually progresses. Oh, so yeah. you try to then find that marker and then you try different combinations of molecule testing to see what will it do if you 
change the mark a certain way? Will it work better? Will it stop the progress of the disease? And that's how you then go into research. Once you find a marker, you obviously will do what we call preclinical testing in the lab. Try to make sure, does it give you the same reaction over and over again? And you have to test it quite a few times to make sure it wasn't a fluke. Right. That the consistency is there, that it actually is doing what it's meant to be doing. Yes. And then after that, once you're sure it's, and, and I mean, we try to limit and be very humane with the tests that are done in the lab, but you have to be really sure it's doing what it's meant to be doing. So even before it gets to being tested on any Humans. living organism, Correct. is it tested in on human tissue? So before then, it actually gets tested the, in the cells. Yes. yes. So in the lab, ev- everything gets done in the lab. So different types of tissues. So we start with animal tissue and then we'll move to human tissue and make sure that it does what it's meant to be doing because a lot of that lab work is to make sure that that signal can be replicated almost. So yeah. interesting. Mm. Kind of like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah, that's true. So in <laughs> fact, what tends to happen, and, and this is the part, you know, we <laughs> test about like 5,000 molecules before five of them make it to human trials, as you can imagine. And then from that five, only one will make it to your bag. Okay. Let, let me, hold on. Out of 5,000 possible medications, yes. only one will make it to a medical trial. Absolutely. And there's no guarantee that it will make it through that trial. At all. So, in fact, that's why a lot of when people say a lot of money went into research and development, people think it's after the drug is already developed. A lot of the work actually goes before the drug is even available. So what happens is a company like Roche, for instance, where we pride ourselves in our science, we spend a lot of money in that research phase. So we've got over 423 researchers at any one time. Mm. And the trials themselves, we're running annually maybe about 18,000 trials, and not all of them will result, obviously, in a drug that is safe and effective for humans. That's so interesting. Mm. I, mean, I, th- I find that fascinating, mm. you know, how the whole process, process works. How the whole process works. Mm. Um, different medications. Are there different medications that, I've got to think of how to, how to phrase this, but, you know, you've got a group of medications that are classified as blockers, mm. that it will block the way that your body reacts. Mm-hmm. Um, medications that will, I don't know, I'm making this up, but um, perhaps coat <laughs> the cells or whatever it mm. is so that they're not affected. Are there different categories of medications and how they work and what are they? So we don't really classify them in that sense. Yeah. What we do say is where technology is moving now into is into immunology. Right. So we're actually studying how the immune system itself works and then trying to find what you mentioned is is they her two blockers for instance they block the actual human expression gene itself so they are medications but they all do different things and that's why that research that happens before and is so important because each one is so specific right. and where the research is moving towards into personal health care is to actually try to use the data from the actual human themselves and try to see Will this work better in you versus working in someone else? So, I mean, big data, the fourth in, uh, revolution is actually moving towards that. And it's amazing things are being discovered because what we find is what we si- find in the lab is we test a certain type of uh, cell, but humans react differently. And so with this big data that everyone has, we can then feed it into the system and see how well a specific individual reacts to the drug. 
Interesting. And that's where this is the fascinating field for us. Interpersonalized healthcare, we call it, because you're working with immune systems that react differently to the environment that they're in. Because a lot of the, you know, diseases, yes, it's genetic, a lot of it, but a lot of times also your environment, how you interact with the environment around you. Your mental state, your mental state has a huge impact on your, on your immune system. You know, if somebody's run down. You know, I mean, you're going to get a cold. Right? You've heard of the placebo effect, and really, what? Which strangely enough, exactly. it works one way or another. It works. <laughs> the placebo effect has been shown to work, even in you know cases where you're surprised that it would work. But actually, when people believe they're going to get better, they, their bodies work with them, and they do get better. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Even when people know that they're taking a placebo, it still, it still works. It's true. and that's that's an incredible. Incredible thing. The body, man, and the human mind is, it's, it's an amazing thing. But, so what our researchers tried to then do is to incorporate all these things into, you know, the research that goes in and to try and, what's important though is to make sure that the drug is doing what it's intended to do. Because remember, all the drugs, and don't let them tell you any different, every drug has a side effect. And the reason it has a side effect is we call it either intended uh, effects or unintended side effect because the way at which it's working will affect other pathways. Right. So most drugs will, won't work just in one way. So yeah. in the same way that it will coat, as you mentioned, something, it will be blocking other receptors that do work that you actually want it to do. Right. And when we do research, we need to be very clear that we even can predict which those side effects are and how to manage them. Yeah. And that's very important. I'm trying to think what drug it was mm. that it was developed for treatment of I think it was a heart condition but the side effects actually ended up helping the patients to grow hair or something. There's quite a few of them. <laughs> so I'm not sure which one you're specifically talking to, but actually that's quite quite common. Um, really? Like oh, they'll be doing it. So now it's become a hair medication. I tell you, and there's ones where, you know, they were treating diabetes and now suddenly it's a weight loss medication. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had some <laughs> so very that controversial. <laughs> <laughs> so that happens quite a lot because what you're looking for is the, the action of the drug will also determine its side effects. Because where it acts on the human body, where it acts in the physiology and the natural process of the cell is where it will have the effect. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. My name is Kathy Kayla. My guest is Dr. Kotatso Motumi, who is the medical director at Orosh. I called him up. I said, come and explain to us how medications make it. You know, how is it that you've ended up with this one particular medication? And, uh, yeah, if you've got any questions, then you're welcome to send them through on SMS 34519 or 061-895-1019. Um, message coming through saying, do pharmaceuticals look for cures or treatments? Good question. Very good question. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the question. So what we look for is an unmet need, really. So we try to go, especially at Roche, I can speak only for Roche, really, but I'm sure the other pharmaceutical companies get say the same. What we try to look for is disease areas where there's still no cure, really, because then there's a lot more work that can be done. If already the disease is cured, then that's fine. At least there's something to be done. Our main aim really is to help patients and to make sure, you know, there's a sustainable growth um, of any economy. And when you have a live, healthy 
people, that's when your economy grows. Right. So well, that's a terrible business uh, it's, model it's for, for pharmaceutical <laughs> companies, right? Well, actually, it's not so terrible because actually healthy, <laughs> functioning adults are good for the environment and they're good for the economy of the of the world. And so what we work on is we do try to go into like research areas like cancer where there was no treatment before. We try to go into neuroscience. We try to go into cardiology. So neuroscience is very important, especially when you look at important. conditions like Alzheimer's, MS, you know, you know, yeah. um, spinal muscular atrophy, very devastating conditions where if the people were actually allowed to be economically active, they could go back to the world um, and be able to actually give back to the community. So we do work at trying to find cures, but we also sometimes... the balance. There's a balance, and sometimes all we can do really is the treatment because some diseases, unfortunately, are not curable. Yeah. Why is the testing process essential and, and and I'll tell you why I say this is that I was watching a documentary uh, it's called The War on Wheat mm-hmm. it was put out by the Canadian Broadcasting um, Corporation and there's a doctor who has taken on wheat and gluten like wheat is like the new ISIS okay replacing straws um, and his all of his tech technical information is all anecdotal mm. He's a cardiologist, and it's all anecdotal information. Mm-hmm. And he's making these claims that wheat causes cancer, that wheat causes diabetes, that wheat causes this. I mean, you cannot believe the list. Anything and every, everything that could possibly go wrong with the human body, he is saying wheat is responsible. Mm-hmm. But it's all anecdotal. And that's the problem. So we find actually when you run studies, the best run study is what we call randomized clinical trials, where you take average people and try to see. So the level of evidence, and I know doctors get very offended by this, but the level of evidence, if you have to score which one has the best evidence, anecdotal evidence is actually the bottom of the list. Because what we try to do as humans... Because it's not a control. At all. We try to put... We have a, something we believe, and then we try to find evidence to make it so. Yes. And what we find in clinical trials, especially if you run multi-random trials, and when you even do things like um, you do multiple studies, you put that research together, that evidence tends to be much better than on one trial on its own. So the value of research is to make sure that it's replicable, what you're saying, and in different circumstances that you would find the same research answer. No, absolutely. I mean, mm. there's value in that. Absolutely. Because if without a controlled environment, you could have any any results. It could be because the person had orange juice that morning that their sugar went went down yeah. or up or whatever. And that's why it's so important. And you'll see our, like, uh, we have a regulatory body called SAPRA in South Africa. And what they do is even after we've shown the research that we've done in the lab, the research we've done in clinical trials, we're still held responsible for following up and making sure after the drug has hit the market that you, we called phase four. You're still making sure there's pharmacovigilance. You're testing the safety of the drug. You'll know there's some drugs that have been on the market for a while. What we find is once you're exposed to a lot of humans, because so many people react so differently to the drug, there's been cases where the drug is recalled many years after it was marketed because what they try to determine at each point with every drug that is on the market is that the cost-benefit of the drug makes sense. So the effects must be more positive than they are negative. And that's what we call the cost-benefit analysis that they run. And in, in order to make sure this happens, all the pharmaceutical companies are by law 
asked to make sure that they follow up on cases that are reported uh, for safety, make sure that there's a program running of how you're going to get these adverse events reported, and then they send them out, and then based on that, they determine whether there is still a cost-benefit analysis. And this is very important for reasons like this. Yeah. yeah. Do, do pharmaceutical companies ever have to... Um, okay, before I even get to ethics committees mm. and all of that, take me through... Step by step, how yes. a drug is deve- how a drug Good. is developed. So as I mentioned, um, work uh, is done in the lab where we're trying to find an unmet medical need. So you study the biology of the disease itself. Say someone then comes up with a molecule that they think actually is going to work. So research then goes into that molecule. All of this is done in the lab. After it's finished being proven in the lab that, you know, there's an effect to what this uh, molecule is doing, it then gets uh, put into what we call a clinical phase because the part before is called the preclinical phase while it's in the lab and being tested. In the clinical phase, that's when you're then allowed to test in human subjects. So that's from phase two to phase four. So the phase two is they first tried in a small group of patients who are healthy to see the effect still there. Then you move on to phase three, which is where you people who've got the disease that you're testing, a small group of them to make sure that they're actually reacting the way you think they're reacting. These are often called also um, registration trials. So the more you do, in fact, the better. So sometimes they'll start with a trial, but they'll do more than one. I call them pivotal trials. And based on that data, you then approach the health authority, and then they will allow you to register the drug after you've fulfilled all the conditions about how you're going to make sure people are safe and that sort of thing. And then after that, you go into phase four where you're allowed to market the drug, but you still have to then look after the safety of the drug, make sure the uh, pharmacology of the drug, if there's any risk that you have to identify, that you have to look after patients, that's called phase four. So a lot of processes. And then there's still marketing. Then you still have to market the drug, make sure, even while marketing the drug, our responsibility, our main responsibility as pharmaceuticals is to make sure the safety of patients is, you know, is paramount. So it must be proven to be safe and effective to use in humans. And even after you market it, your responsibility doesn't end. After you market it, you still have a responsibility to ensure that still happens. So we send reports, for instance, to the Department of Health. Every AE we send within a specified time limit, and that's how they make sure that the drug stays safe. Even after many years that the drug has been on the market. You still have to do those reports for the Department of Health. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is which is good. No, listen. Of course, it's good. Oh. Of course, it's good. That's, mm. uh, you know, hoping that that somebody's actually reading those reports. We do. <laughs> uh, trust me, you have to. You write them. <laughs> Whether I, I, I can assure you, they read them, hey, because um, you you send them every six months, and you wonder. To, then they'll find something there. Bring it back and they say, okay, but this report we found this, and it's, it's actually quite thorough. And I, I mean, I'm amazingly proud of our, um, health department because a lot of times, because we're delayed, you know, FDA, which is US based, tends to go before we do an email, which is in Europe. And I can't tell you how many times we found stuff with our regulatory department really, that huh? they missed and then we asked to go get us more information so it's the work that's been done there is actually quite top notch that's so interesting mm. I, I found this fascinating yeah. to see how everything goes into together. you know together exactly so we're talking about uh, medications mm. about how medications end up you know in your trolley in your handbag, on your prescription that your doctor's just prescribed. My guest is Dr. Kotato Motumi, who is Medical Director at Roche Pharmaceuticals. Is it uh, Roche Pharmaceuticals or Hoffman 
So the it's not Hoffman, right? The big name is Hoffman La Roche. Yes, actually, that's the big incorporated company. So we're a Swiss-based company. Uh, Our main office is based in Basel. Yes, but we have uh, over eighty affiliates. We call them. So we have companies set up in every about eighty in South Africa. It's under Roche Pharmaceuticals. Absolutely, yes. Okay, very mm. good. So what are the, the over-the-counter medications that we would know? I so mean, aside from the vitamins. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> There's one so thing. We actually, um, it's interesting, the history of Roche, because we've got this, um, if you ever come to the office, this histology chart of what to do. So we started off there, but over the years, I must say, we've moved more towards personalized healthcare. So we actually are out of, um, so I think if I tell you, all of our drugs, you have to have a doctor's script to be able to get them. Oh, really? Yeah. All of them? All of so them. So it's the serious stuff. It's the serious stuff. And interesting, we did start. Um, I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but we used to have Zambac. Zamb- <laughs> Listen, I think that was a huge mistake to <laughs> I let know, it go. I think it was. A, what was interesting for me, though, to find out, because, you know, you read some of the history, is there was it was one of the most stolen products in the plant. Really? <laughs> yes. Well, listen, it's so tiny, firstly. I mean, you can pick it up, play with it, and, you know, forget that you got it. Yeah, so, but we sold it off. And that's uh, the other part that happens. You know, we sell off some of the drugs or we give partnerships to other businesses. So that happens quite a bit. So our model now really is more, like I said, personalized health. So we've moved into more immunology. And so we, I think none of our stuff is anything from Schedule 3 to Schedule 6 only. So that's it. Yes. No, that's no it. more, no more vitamins. <laughs> I, I miss them, I must say. Back in the day, um, it used to be that you'd get that at the office when they still used to allow sampling. So the other thing that they <laughs> you don't want to be sampling anything these <laughs> the days. The regulator, huh? and it, it's correct what they've done. So what the regulators ask that, you know, you don't sample medications, only medications as tested and must be used correctly. Because if you allow sampling, you can't control who takes the medication. Right. And then you can't actually follow up how their reaction to the medication was. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, let's talk about ethics committees. Mm. Um, why would pharmaceutical companies need to have ethics committees? And who sits on those ethics committees? So the commonest people who tend to be on ethics committees would be heads of departments. Mm-hmm. So say the head of oncology at the Joburg Gen or at, you know, uh, Pretoria, and the reason that you have to have this done is you need to make sure that what you are trying to do benefits the country, benefits the population that you're trying it's to do. the greater good, right? It absolutely yeah. is. And it's very important that every drug goes through testing properly because what you want to ensure is you don't want something on the market with no one to control who uses it, how they use it, and if something were to go wrong, you know, God forbid, who would take responsibility? So the role of these ethics committees is to check, what are you doing this for? Is it for the greater good of the country? Are people going to actually benefit? And the one thing we've done that's, I think, very well done for the South African uh, Health Authority is we've even asked that afterwards you must show how you're going to make sure that the same patients are going to keep receiving this medication if it indeed works. All right. So I think that you raise a very important um, issue about ethics committees, and it's mm. very nice. But what happens? Because uh, I was actually speaking to a friend of mine who was recently, unfortunately, discovered um, discovered a lump, and it was confirmed as mm-hmm. breast cancer. And the medication that she can take is prohibitively expensive. Mm. It's something like 50,000 rand a month, and that's for, you know, that... Medical aid is not going to pay for mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. your medical insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, how 
how do pharmaceutical companies reach a balance? Because obviously there's this big event, this big investment. Um, how how long do you hold a, a copyright for? Um, it depends on the actual medication. medication. So roughly about ten years. About ten yeah. years. Yeah. So how much do you have to charge for ten years in order to recoup the costs? In the pre-trials and all of that. So what we try to work on, if I can answer the first part of your question. So we try to focus on not just price of the medication. Obviously, we do something called differential pricing. So the same drug that you would get in the U.S. for a certain price won't be sold in South Africa for that price. We try to take into consideration the Gini coefficiency of the country, the GDP of the country. So what pharma companies then try to do is they go into agreements with governments, for instance, to say, okay, this is the number of patients that you have in the country. What can we work out. But the other thing just to, you know, bring your mind to, access tends to not be a problem of just price. It tends to be a problem of people knowing firstly that they have the disease, reaching for help, um, going to the facilities and actually finding them functional, finding the right people there, the testing itself must be correct. So a lot of the pharma companies, and that's part of um, this campaign that I can and I will, is to try and make sure the primary care is first sorted out. Because it doesn't matter talking about the medication if the person doesn't even present to the doctor right. to get tested. Right. So with breast cancer, for instance, the campaigns we run are tend to be more check, make sure, because the earlier you catch it, and I mean, you mentioned earlier your friend, it was very early in the disease. The earlier you catch it, the better actually the outcomes for, for all of the drugs, not just Roche drugs, but the other companies as well. Um, the earlier you catch it, the better the patient actually does. So we try to focus on all those other factors. So we work with not just um, the government, but also medical aids to make sure that they access itself is improved across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, and the second part of your question was to say the research itself. So a lot of the times people think um the money is used for the one drug. But like I said, the molecules we have about five thousand molecules in research at any one time. That's where the actual money goes. Once you've actually got the drug on the market, we don't other than the, the training that we do to doctors, the training that we do patient awareness, the money itself goes back into the research and development for other molecules. That's how it works. Okay. Well, I hope that that's answered any yeah, questions. So that's where we try regard. to keep the balance because what we focus on really is, I mean, you can't tell as you're doing the research on those 5,000 molecules which one of them, you know, will make it. So we try to always make sure we put our money back into the same research because like I said, an economically healthy uh, patient population is a win-win for everyone yeah. because they are alive, they can work, and then they can give back to the e- e- economy and to the population. What are the areas that, that Roche is, uh, is focusing on in terms of developing cures, treatments? So our main focus has been in the past about oncology, but we have moved now into neuroscience. Right. We have uh, quite a few uh, drugs in the pipeline for neuroscience. We've got hematology that we're working on as well as hemophilia. So we do, I suppose, tend to focus more on the more difficult disease areas. That has been our, I suppose, our focus. Yeah. Only yeah. recently I learned that there's different kinds of hemophilia. I just thought that it's hemophilia is hemophilia, and mm. it's actually not. It no. can be very specific. It can be very specific, yeah. And unfortunately... um um men tend to, you know, struggle a lot more than women because of the way the gene is set up. The mother can be a carrier and then the child itself is the way the disease is. Yeah, I was yeah. very surprised. We mm. did um, one of our Nelson Mandela, uh, one of our Mandela oh. days at yes. the station. In fact, was it, Craig, was it Mandela Day or was it a Christmas? I think it was Christmas that we went to the, hos- to the hospitals, right? It was Christmas. 
So uh, it was Christmas, and mm. we we took donuts for mm. kids in hospital and for the nursing staff. And um, Charlotte Matek has got a very very good, very well run, um, very well run hematology mm. department. And yes, Prof Mashangu is in yes. charge of that. Yeah, yes. so he runs quite a few trials with us as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Renee from Israel. Thanks, Renee. Uh, she says, on the other hand, there are theories that cures have been found, but because of the pharmaceutical companies losing money, they won't allow cures to be found. What do you think? So I always like <laughs> read these things, and I think, oh, like conspiracy theories, always fascinate me in that. You realize the pharmaceutical company have people who work there, meaning family members work there and our, yeah. you know, our, our friends, our mothers are patients. So it would make absolutely no sense to hide a cure for your own mother because you're trying to make money for a company that's owned by some guy in Switzerland. Exactly. So <laughs> it's never really made sense to me, but I suppose this is why uh, conspiracy theories uh, exist uh, yeah. because, you know, humans, we, we, we need answers. It sounds like a conspiracy yeah, theory. We, we need answers and sometimes yeah. the answers are not pleasant. And a lot of the times, you know, diseases are so devastating, especially things like breast cancer. And a young mother, it's the most devastating thing to the family, the effect. Yeah. can be so long. So, I mean, we dedicate ourselves to diseases like this. I mean, we're moving into spinal muscular atrophy. We're moving into Alzheimer's because these are all devastating diseases where we really would like, the, you know, the people to be saved. And, and there's really not for enough life to be transformed. And there's not enough research being done exactly. into Alzheimer's or multiple sclerosis. And you know, the, the worst part about Alzheimer's, I can tell you, Every company that's actually tried to do a drug so far into Alzheimer's has failed. Look, we've got a couple of things in the pipeline which we can't speak about because it's so early in the lifeline. Fail. But a lot of research actually does go into it. It just shows you how little there's been able to find anything that actually yeah. works. Yeah. But there's research currently um, running in Alzheimer's from different companies, not just us, because it is such an un- unmet need. There's still so much to be done. And people are getting it earlier. People and are people are living it. longer. I mean, you know, one of my favorite yeah. authors, uh, Terry Pratchett, I mean, died from the disease. Yeah. He called it the Bangaris. I've forgiven for calling it, <laughs> if you call it wrong. I mean, he died in 2013. He was a, he wrote lots of books called Discord. Brilliant. Yeah. brilliant writer. And he put a lot of money into that. A lot of it went into research. And even now in 2019, we still sit with no real answer. And so that, that's the role of research really to make sure we try to find answers where none exist. And sometimes it takes longer than we really would like. Treatments versus vaccines. Mm. Let's have that discussion. Oh, so I mean, <laughs> since you're here, I mean, could we ever come up with a vaccine against Alzheimer's? I mean, anything is possible. I mean, they're doing research now in vaccines for HIV, and a, a long time for a long time. But they identified strong. the marker. And that's the thing. So it used to mutate so commonly that that was the issue previously. But now people think there really is something that can be done. And and that's the thing. What, what we were saying earlier when you said you find the drug, we don't stop at just finding the one drug that can treat so long. The research itself into the disease carries on past yeah. one drug being found. In fact, what's good for the disease is, in fact, the quicker a drug is found, a quicker other pharma companies will also go for the same disease area and that then opens up very healthy competition and the prices of the drug then goes down. So that's good. Because that's there's more good. people more people are, are researching and then a, a quicker um, uh, cure will be found. Yeah, I think that happened with polio. Yes. Yeah. With the polio vaccine. The <laughs> that's a fascinating true. story. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. a... Yeah, and I mean, for me, what's 
what's scary and what's sad is this anti-vaxxer movement really seems to be gaining. When I first saw it, I thought, what a ridiculous thing. And it's gaining so much momentum that you know it's why? frightening. You know why? <laughs> because the parents who are questioning whether to give their child that polio vaccine have never know. seen That's polio. True. That's very true. If you lived in the time where Wait, polio, every summer, nobody knew whether the kids would be returning to school mm-hmm. after the summer holidays in, you know, having been in an eye lung, mm-hmm. half paralyzed, or what the story was. If you've seen that and you've lived with that fear, it wouldn't it even be ever. a question. Uh, yeah. When they did trials for it, they had to turn people away. Because everyone wanted it. Because everybody it. wanted it. Because it was a hope mm. that my child might escape this polio. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think that it's just, we just need to educate ourselves yeah. about it. And I mean, that's what the aim of these campaigns are for, to try and make sure people read and not only just read whatever you find on the internet, but read proper research. So even the trials themselves, what we're trying to do is, um, there are trial sites available like, uh, uh, uh Gov, uh, 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 sorry, I'm trying to remember the name of the cal- trial site, trialgov.za.gov.za. You can find a multiple listed trials that are available. Yeah. Um, and w- the most that they'll tell you is what the trial is about, which indications, and at least now um, who to contact. At least um, commonly what we uh, advise patients to do, ask your doctor, and um, they will then contact the researchers on the trials. But what uh, we try to do, and this is where the role of the ethics committee comes early, we try to always involve the public sector into any of the trials that we run, which is very important, so that no one is denied care just because of their means. Somebody once said to me that, um, you know, and this is quite controversial, mm-hmm. so if we're not, we might even end up playing a song. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are people who have often taken from society mm. and have no means of giving back mm. and paying a debt, paying their debt to society. Mm. Um, would it be ethical mm. to use people who have murdered or who have to be locked away, who are on life sentences I would in, in drug trials? I would personally <laughs> never go anywhere near that. Remember, before you actually agree to be on a trial, it has to be explained very explicitly what your choices are. Because sure. trials can go wrong. If very much so. And in the past, I mean, we've done shocking things as humans to other humans. Um, but what's important to know is before you sign up for a trial, you must know what it is. It's expected that the drug will do. If it doesn't do it, what happens? How, you know, which means do you look for? For you know to try and get better, and it must always be a choice. So for me, with prisoners, the choice is taken away because you're already incarcerated, and you are actually um, the 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 chances of a drug actually working and you're on the trial is actually quite high lately. And it would be sad that the people who are sick and need the drug are not actually being the ones who are actually getting the drug, and you're giving it to a poor prisoner who's got nothing to do with it. So I would. My answer would be no. no <laughs> big, big. Don't no. do it. Don't yeah. do it. In fact, the law, I think, is South Africa doesn't allow um, for people incarcerated to actually be part of trial. Even if they wanted to? I think even if they wanted to. We tend to, um, the ethics committee you know, looks for. You go live independently, but you become part of the trial. Oh I, I, you know, okay, okay, I can see <laughs> this is not a good, this is not a happy place for you. Yeah. Okay, my guest mm-hmm. is uh, Dr. Kotato Motumi. She's a medical director at Roche Pharmaceuticals. We're talking about medicines, medicines in general, the life of medicines. Um, 
how many people do you think read the package inserts for medication? Shockingly little, hey? Um, and what the law says is to put in as lay language as possible so that people understand what it is they're taking, so they understand how the, at least the drug is meant to work, or at least the common side effects you are to be expecting mm-hmm. and when to reach out for help. And so when we, you know, run campaigns like this, we, we try to make sure read everything you're given. Read. Ask questions. You're actually allowed to ask questions. And I think people, um, because you're, you're already not feeling well, you're seeing a doctor, it's all overwhelming. People think, you know, that that's it. I must just do it. I'm supposed talk. to not feel well. But yeah. actually, the more you read and the more you empower yourself, the actual better um, everything goes. The whole experience. I mean, it's it's terrible being in a hospital. So I find personally, the more I read on a disease, the better I feel about what I'm expecting as the outcome because now I know what to expect. But it is so important. I mean, anyone who's taking statins, for example, they, I can tell you now that their pharmacist, their pharmacist has not told them never, ever, ever have grape juice. Mm. Um, not grape juice, grapefruit juice um, because it does something to the statins and it, it, it can actually be fatal. Um, you know, when you read those package inserts, um I'm just trying to think what what the I can't remember if there was actually mention of it, mm-hmm. but there must have been. So um, I, yeah. I can't speak of statins. Yeah. We don't actually produce statins, but like I said, any side effects, like the popular one, would be St. John's Wort. A lot of people use St. John's Wort, don't realize that the medication acts <coughs> on the same place in the liver, and then the the the, the, the medication the effect is either too high or too little because the St. John's what what it does is it cleans out your system for lack of a better word it enhances the CP345 of your liver and that's why it's so important to read that uh, package insert to make sure it doesn't interact with anything else especially um when you are then taking something else over the counter and you haven't informed your doctor because at least then the doctors are made aware of what side effects each drug and the, how they will interact with each other. So it's very important to be aware. Is it true that most medications um, come from herb and plant matter mm-hmm. as opposed to chemical? It's a bit of both. Uh, so some do, some do, absolutely. Uh, some you wouldn't think of come from actual plants. I, I tend to think of one that I can mention to you on radio. But a, a lot of plants used to be in the past more plant-based, but now it's also a bit of both uh, that we use also synthetic material or other materials to do the drugs. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Rush makes methotrexate. No, not, no, no, no. Okay, it's not one of our. Drugs. All right. Well, mm-hmm. that was a drug that mm-hmm. was developed for treatment of cancer, mm-hmm. and is used for arthritis and all kinds of immune system. So that's the issues. conversation I was having about where the drugs are moving to now. Is they find, especially with your immuno, uh, we call them immunological drugs. Yeah. They tend to have more than one effect. And so um, what is important, though, is to just be sure that you're using it, something called on-label versus off-label. So when the drug has been tested and has been found in that disease area to work, it will then be marketed even for that disease area, even if it's, you know, a few years later. Yeah. Okay. The unfortunate thing is a lot of time people try it, what we call off-label. It's never been tested in that setting. And then the problem becomes you can't predict how the patients will react because it hasn't been tested. So we 
always advocate for use it on label and make sure you understand the effects and the side effects that the drug will have. My name is Kathy Kayla. My guest is Dr. Kotato Motumi, who is a medical director of Rush. I told you I'd get it read right <laughs> before the hours are. <laughs> We're talking about the life of drugs. How are drugs developed? How are, you know, and I, I'm sure that uh, you'd be happy to uh, um, answer general questions yes. about medications. You know, how do we learn about their interactions? And uh, how do you get in touch with me? 34519, that's the SMS line. You can also send me a WhatsApp on 061-895-1019 or uh, that's also Telegram. Or you can email me on air at highfm.com, C-H-A-I-F-M.com. Okay, um, I wanted to ask you also about the clinical trials. If somebody wanted to sign up for a clinical trial, do you ever have clinical trials where you need healthy people? Um, There's some. Um, So previously as a student, for instance, uh, I studied at UCT, so they would run, say, for instance, trials where they're trying to see if they were to add something else to a drug that's already there, would it work better? So they used to run trials like that. My company hasn't uh, run trials like that. Our trials tend to be more registration. Yeah, yeah, because because they're so serious. They all schedule three, four, five, and six. So the diseases we tend to focus on, we don't run any trials in human subjects in South Africa, certainly, so we only run them in the disease itself. And like I said, uh, I don't know if you found the site. I, I'll find it to you and send it to you. It's clinicaltrials.gov.za. Oh, that was it. Yeah, clinical so what uh, we try to do, all companies um, by law have to actually put which trials are running and um, what disease areas are being tested. Um, most um, commonly, like I said, um, your main institutions, Joburg Gen, would probably be running, you, um, you know, UP and Ask your doctor because what tends to happen is we sometimes get a call. I'm not sure where people get my number, but you actually get someone who gets through to my call line and says, listen, this is what's happening. Can you get us on a trial? It doesn't work like that because you want to make sure that it's an independent, obviously. Uh, so the doctors are the ones who determine who will be on the trial. So we we ask doctors, we approach doctors that we've used in the past or ask other new doctors if they'll be involved in trials. And then For they, some people, those trials become hope. That's the thing. That's the thing about what trials provide. I mean, I heard what you said earlier about this is what the research is for, to try and give hope in places where sometimes it's, you know, it's very difficult to have hope. And... And that's the thing, because it's a trial, you can't guarantee it will work and you can't guarantee that the patient will get better. So it's very important that it's done such under stringent conditions and to make sure people understand what they're getting themselves into, that it's not yet registered and that things might change during the actual trial. How involved do um, pharmaceutical, or uh, you can't speak for other pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies, but Roche, how, how involved does Roche get with diagnosis? And I'm asking this specifically. Mm-hmm. It may sound like a loaded question, but it's not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, one of your products, I think, is um, Ritalin. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I mention that? Yes. Okay, well, I have too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ritalin, you know, if one looks at especially private schools, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, you know, teachers, teachers saying, you know, this child needs Ritalin. It's not for the teacher to say. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, the child will go on Ritalin. Mm-hmm. It's not always coming from, or, you know, or the GP is doing it. Does pharmaceutical, do 
does Rush get involved with um, diagnosis? So we, very much so, not in the sense that we ask the doctor to diagnose the disease, but what we do is we run campaigns where the awareness of the disease, how the disease is tested and where to seek treatment. Those are the type of um, initiatives that we run. So I don't know if you know this, but we also um, one of the main sponsors of Pelo Pepper, the train. Yes. So things like that. So we try to make sure that not only is the drug itself available, but before you even get to the drug, the you know basic healthcare itself part is taken care of. You raise awareness first, so people know to even go to a doctor to reach out for help. And we work with not only specialists, but even for uh, cancer, we work with GPs, for instance, to be able to sh- to train them as well when to tra- refer. recognize the early the signs. Early because signs if you don't, to, exactly, it can be the fatal. The clinics, the nurses, we train all of those to try and make sure that very question. Early referral means better uh, outcomes for the patient. So we do uh, run those uh, patient awareness and um we train doctors, we train patients as well. So we, we take it very seriously. What do you love about your job? Uh, so for me, um, the part that's very interesting is um, one day is very different to the next. So in research, I mean, you, you're testing this thing and you, you understand the gravity of your work is you're giving hope to people. And sometimes it actually works out. So for me, that is so fulfilling. I mean, we've been part of a company that's, Brought, I think we have about a hundred, hundred drugs on the WHO list of essential medicines. Wow. Because we focus so much on diseases that affect the world, affect populations in the world. So for us, I mean, science comes first. And I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful to work for a company that, that does that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm obviously a medically trained professional. So I've worked in the clinics. I've worked in the actual hospitals and have seen how difficult it is, you know, those circumstances. And so for me, I'm, I'm able to do something that tries to alleviate some of that, um, from the other end. So that part of my work is very, um, fulfilling for me. Okay, I found that website, by the yes. way. It's uh, sanctr.gov.za, yes. which is the South African National Clinical Trial Register. Yes. And uh, you can go and check out all the different clinical trials there, how to register, all sorts of things. It's interesting. Mm. You know, we don't even know, as lay, as lay people, we don't even know that these places exist. <laughs> so thank you so much for letting us know about that. Um, have you yourself worked on any particular... Um, you know, in the field of research that you've seen a drug go to market. You've been part of that process. Can I tell you, interestingly, it takes so many years. Yes. Right? And, <laughs> and you this just is, look too young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been in the industry now going on eight, nine years. Um, but the drug development itself tends to be so long. So the trial itself, the phase three trial can be about three to four years. Before that work, can be anything up to five years. So I have never personally worked on something that in the time I've been in pharma has made it to market, which is very interesting because just how long it actually takes. So a lot of people think, does it just happen like that? Unfortunately not. And, and, and for good reason, like I said, it has to be tested and you have to make sure it's safe and effective for use. So I unfortunately haven't had the chance to work on something that I saw come to fruition. But you, but you still get to see it. I get to see it, like I said, in, in the time I've been in pharma for sure. So I've worked for two uh, different companies. You've seen when they actually get to launch. But by the time they're launching those drugs into the market, it means work has been done up the last 10 years, years before, yeah. 20 years before. So yeah. Yeah. Is there no way to speed up that process? 
You know, honestly, I don't think um, so. So they have different processes uh, where they try to do breakthrough depending on the disease itself. They'll put it through the status and then the review time tries to be reduced. But the, reju- the uh, time is it's important. You must make sure that it is doing what it's meant to be doing. What they're hoping to do with the big data is try and limit the, the amount of time spent um, because already as, as you collect the information as you go along, at least that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an absolute delight and a pleasure speaking to you. You Thank clearly you, love what you do. You believe in what you do. And, uh, you know, may I just go on to, to heal and treat and make, improve the lives of so many people who are really suffering with disease. Thank you so Thank much. You Thank you so much. That's Dr. Khotatso Motumi. She's the medical director at Roche, uh, South Africa. And uh, we've been talking about how medications go from finding the marker within the human being that is causing this disease all the way through to, you know, launch of the, of the product. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you found it interesting. And uh, I thank you so much. I got, God bless. I will see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacist to care.